0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Books and Booze. We're being joined by Michael Allen Rose this week. This is Renee, as always, and I am drinking a, uh, a red velvet wine. I haven't tasted it yet, so hopefully it tastes good and not horrible, because usually things with weird wine flavors, I don't know, it could go either way. Uh, <laughs> Michael, how are you doing and what are you drinking?
1: Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm here in cold and wintry Chicago, and I'm drinking a hot chai this evening. I'd love to do uh, the booze thing to keep warming me up, but it's a work night, so I'm I'm playing it safe tonight.
0: Yeah, it happens. It happens. Rob, what have you got tonight?
2: Uh, I'm drinking a very comically large glass of uh, Jim Beam, and (laughs) it was. Well, it was it was the end of the bottle, and I was like, "Well, it doesn't look like there's a lot left, so I'll just kill it." And then I poured it all into the glass, and I'm like, "Ah, that's a shitload of whiskey, but I already poured it, so I guess I'll just drink it."
1: You're stuck now.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, you don't want to waste good whiskey. You know that that's a crime. So.
2: Because cause Jim Beam is some real quality whiskey. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So did you finally finish your wife's bottle of whiskey then?
2: Uh, Yeah, let's not talk about that.
0: Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. <laughs>
2: no, I, I have to. So so my wife was pregnant, and someone got her a bottle of whiskey, and she was saving it, and I kept on dipping into it, like, whenever I ran out. I totally killed it. Okay. So uh, I need to replace it. You should have done,
1: yeah, done, done the preteen thing where you, you put a little bit of colored water in it over time so nobody notices yeah. yeah. anything.
2: Here's the thing, though, is that after the kid showed up, she would have had a big drink, and then she probably would have murdered me. Because um, it, it was a, a, you just You just blame her hormones then. See, it's, oh, it yeah. tastes different to you? That's weird. <laughs> I'm like, oh, maybe the whiskey went bad. Um, yeah, I must have, helped. you know, you, you waited too long. <laughs> yeah, so this is a good reminder, though, because now I'm out of whiskey and she's out of whiskey, so I will go buy <laughs> two bottles of whiskey tomorrow, and everything will be okay.
0: Um, so let's start with some music, like I said, because I think that's a lot of like that's cool and it's fun, and uh, we're going to be playing one of the songs, right? That did work out, right? I didn't just make something up, So that'd be embarrassing. It,
1: it, it, it did, actually, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I got some, some contact from your folks, and uh, I believe you're going to hear at least a piece of the song "Ovoid, Ovoid, which is the 10th track on the new album.
0: All right, and the new album is Flood Damage,
1: right? Yeah, uh, the project's name is Flood Damage, and the new album is called Instructions for the Assembly of Gods. And it is out now digitally everywhere, and actually within a few days of hearing this, there should be a store online where you can buy physical CD copies and things. Hooray!
0: Awesome. Awesome. So, just I don't know uh i haven't I didn't get to, to listen to it because I don't have the track yet. um, I'll listen to it tomorrow when I'm editing, so listeners at home will have heard a few seconds of it, I guess before this part of the show, but they won't hear the whole song until the end of the show, so you gonna tell us a little bit about the style of music and like what what you're doing with this album
1: yeah, absolutely um so uh. Flood damage has been around for a long, long time. Actually, um, it's it's one of those things. That it's because I'm an industrial musician. It's kind of like flood damage is me. As long as I'm not dead, it's still around. So <laughs> I usually just end up surrounding myself with people who want to help me make it a thing. Um, so it's changed. You know, it's changed faces over the years a couple of times. But this incarnation of it is it's definitely the best it's ever sounded. Like, the design is spot on, the sound is spot on. It's like heavy industrial rock, kind of influenced by, like, Nine Inch Nails and uh, the old Wax Tracks Chicago sound from the, you know, the 80s and 90s and zeros uh, ministry and KMFDM and that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's It's been fun getting it kind of up on its feet in a real way, and I feel like I'm actually getting the right notes for the first time with it, like, actually doing things the the right way. If
0: there is a
2: right way. Yeah. See, I am suddenly very interested because KMFDM is my favorite band in the
1: world. No kidding. (laughs) Okay. Very cool. Yeah, if you're you're an industrial rock guy, you'll definitely dig it because there's there's a lot of that... um, Yeah, there's a lot of that going on with Flood Damage, and I would love to hear what you think. Yeah, a lot of times... uh, The uh, KMFTM and Ministry is 16-volt, a lot of the cold wave kind of stuff. and Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think it's like KMFDM and Johnny Cash are the only two uh, musical artists of which I own every album they've ever done.
1: Uh, you'll ha- be happy to hear that, even though you might not hear it in the songs very much, I'm also very influenced by Johnny Cash. Nice. Oh.
2: Good times.
0: I see, and I'm well, like, Johnny Cash a lot, so I feel like we're getting a lot of stuff, like, exciting things happening.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We'll be friends now, eventually.
0: Well,
1: yeah. I've always been a big fan of of music that kind of plays with genre a lot um, and kind of pushes the boundaries of what it's meant to be, because I think, I don't know, it's it's easy. uh, Authors do this, too. Uh, It's really easy to pigeonhole yourself if you decide that you write a certain thing or you play a certain thing or perform a certain way or whatever. Uh, I I guess I always tried to just kind of let it be whatever it wanted to be. And the nice thing about that is because of all these disparate influences, I mean, I grew up listening to country and old rock and roll, you know, from my dad. And I got in, when I was a teenager, it was kind of like the alternative and grunge thing was happening and got into industrial. And I think the older I get, the more genres I actually end up listening to, which yeah. I feel like is the right way to go.
0: <laughs> I've I've found that definitely to be true in my own case, and it, what I also find to be very true about that is that when I meet somebody who is around my age, and like, uh, for instance, I grew up, like, we had a, a pretty decent, like, punk and metal underground in sure. my home area. So like I know a lot of people who are super into punk rock and that's awesome. I'm super into punk rock, but like you'll meet somebody who like has absolutely no ability to appreciate anything that isn't 100% pure by their standards right. punk rock. And it's like, right. dude, you're like 35.
1: Right.
0: It's, really, <laughs> <laughs> it's no, okay it's, if you it's like. So songs. true. Yeah, like you can but, like songs that have, like, a different baseline or whatever. I don't know.
1: <laughs> right. Well, it's like you, fi- you find that in a lot of genres, and I think it's, it, unfortunately, it's something that happens when you're younger, but some people never grow out of it, where you kind right. of have that seamsterism scene-ster- thing going where it's like, okay, well, I like this thing. That means that anyone who doesn't like this exact thing is wrong and I'm right, and I can't expand my horizons because then I'll be wrong too or something. I don't know. It's this really backward yeah, I- way of thinking.
0: I'm going to I'm going to make an admission right here and now for the world to know. Right today. I today, right like 3 hours ago. Bought Taylor Swift's new album. That happened.
1: Oh my god. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know what? You know what? Good for you. I'm going to
1: I'm going to go on record and say good for you. You're expanding your musical horizons in
2: some <laughs> direction or other. <laughs> See, I actually, I also, I also have that album. Uh, oh wow! <laughs> here, here but, but I have that fucking album because of the new fucking fingerprint thing on my new iPhone and the way you can buy shit with your fingerprint in iTunes. And my phone oh. was being all fucking glitchy, and I accidentally clicked on iTunes and then bought the album. So I have not. Your phone tricked you. It did. Um, it's like you two all over again. Yeah but I downloading last album. <laughs> I will give it a fair shake.
0: That's good, <laughs> though. It's definitely different than what I usually listen to, but here's the thing, okay? I also bought a bunch of Bowling for Soup today, right. and I okay. feel like, hear me out, okay? I feel like it's kind of the same thing. It's like, Bowling for Soup is, I guess, it's, like, cooler to like them than to like, like, straight pop. But it's pop. Mm-hmm. Like, it's upbeat, happy, like, silly lyrics, whatever. And at least a couple of the songs on the Taylor Swift album have, like, relatively serious lyrics. So, whatever. know? Sure. I also was a huge Blink-182 fan when I was a kid. I still like them. They were my boy band. Everybody sure. had that, like, you know. My friends were into, like, Hanson and the Backstreet Boys. I was into Blink-182. I think it's Okay.
1: It is okay. I feel like, uh, you know,
0: like I'm talking too much now. Now it sounds like I'm, like, justifying myself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's it's funny. Well, you made me think of two things. One is I think we all have, like, bands that we still like that I wouldn't even call them guilty pleasures. It's just like, I just like this band. I feel that way about Bon Jovi. I still think Bon Jovi is a damn good band. They write catchy <laughs> songs. It's I mean, yeah, it was like, you know, it's pop, this- butt rock from 1988, but...
0: And you know what is fucking crazy, though, is just like yesterday. I Okay, I work from home, and I spend a mm-hmm. lot of time, no one to talk to, but my dogs, okay? So <laughs> somehow I got on this track of thinking about Bon Jovi, I don't know how, and I was thinking the same thing, that, yeah, actually, there's a reason why when living on a prayer comes on in a bar, everybody stops what they're doing and starts singing.
1: Exactly. You know? Oh yeah, living on a prayer or uh, shot to the heart. Oh my god.
0: And um and then like so everyone's
1: yelling along.
0: <laughs> yeah, did you guys see like this is so weird because this this is where my thought process took me uh yesterday or the day before. Did you guys remember when MTV and Bon Jovi like they did a collaboration where he wrote an album and then they made a movie based on the album?
1: That wasn't Young Guns too, was it?
0: No, no, it was... Um, <laughs> it was like... Because, you know, okay, you had Bon Jovi. And then he, like, had, like, a small comeback. And then he kind of went away for a little while. And then he came back with, like, the It's My Life and all those songs, right? It was that one. Oh, right, little,
1: right, right, right,
0: right. It was, like, Midnight in Chelsea or something, I want to say. I have
1: no idea.
0: Cause oh, by yeah, the time he had
1: his comeback, uh, yeah, by the time he had his comeback, I was all like, I was the, you know, the teenage like goth kid grown up. So I was like, I wanted my metal and my goth and my industrial, and I've left these childish things behind. And a few years later, I went, no, 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 I haven't left anything behind. I just, you know, I had that brief right. moment of twenty-somethingness
0: apparently nobody wants to remember this movie that I'm talking about because I put into I think Google,
1: you might be making bon it up movie.
0: I don't know no I know that it happened it wasn't like it was huh, I know that it happened
1: did, did you um, dream it?
0: I, I don't think that I was at a point in my life where I cared enough about Bon Jovi to like make up a fantasy land where he gets to make terrible movies out of his, out of his album <laughs>
1: I, can't, I kind of wish you were, but but only because that's really amusing. I don't know. I, I, I yeah. I'm gonna have to look this up. You realize now? I'm I'm gonna spend all day at work tomorrow, like researching Bon Jovi I, MTV collaborative movies.
0: It would movies. be on IMDb, right?
1: I would assume so.
0: Everything's on IMDb, so <laughs> I'm, we're gonna put this to bed. I have to. I might have to also edit a lot of this out. Cause it's taken a long time, but. <laughs>
1: Oh well, I was going to say the other thing while you're looking it up. Uh, the other thing that made me think of that, um, we were talking about how you know it's it's pop, but it's all pop. Um, when you were comparing like Bowling for Soup and you know, um, my producer, the guy who produced the new Flood Damage album, uh, is this guy named Sean Payne from a band called Cyanotic. Um, They've worked with uh, like uh, 16 Volt and the new the new version of Revolting Cox and a whole bunch of other things. Um, so he he definitely knows the industrial thing. But he works with a lot of different styles of electronic artists. And one thing he said to me really stood out one time because he's got a hip-hop side project and he's working with a couple of Chicago-based rappers. And it's like, after talking to him, he basically said, you know, everything he does is angry robot noises. It doesn't matter if it's industrial rock or hip-hop or whatever. It's all computer-based music that appeals to disaffected youth that, that says you know certain types of things or, or connects with them a certain way. And it kind of made me think about, like, that's what you don't realize when you're a kid, when you go, I like everything except rap and country or whatever, you know. No, you just, you haven't found the right songs yet that connect with you. Right. You know, I, I, I that's, when I finally realized that, it was kind of like, I wanted to spend the rest of my life looking for, like, the 5% of music across all genres that was really kick-ass. Yeah.
0: I could see that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, this is weird. I think that I might be thinking of a movie that came out in 1997 called Destination Anywhere. But I just read the plot summary. Uh Uh-huh. And apparently, if I actually saw this movie, I erased it from my memory because it doesn't sound familiar to me at all. But The title sounds right. (laughs) Did Ron Jovi have anything to do with it? Yes. He was... Uh This the full soundtrack. Okay. Okay.
2: <laughs> and also
0: started. It is a contemporary film noir set on the streets of a gritty yet colorful Ma- Manhattan neighborhood. John Bon Jovi stars as John <laughs> <laughs> <this> Creative. <laughs> a man on the run from his home, his gambling debts, and his marriage. Oh my. And they have a dead child, of course.
1: This sounds super intense. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, it's like, how I guess I didn't watch it, because I feel like I remember all of this.
1: Bon Jovi's failing marriage and is running from his gambling debts and all that. He's
0: running from his gambling debts. His wife is an ER nurse who never fully recovered from the hit-and-run death of their only child several years before. Oh, boy. John returns to chaos. Janie is out of control, and his oh, boy, is to be in danger. So he struggles to cope with the troubles at home, but has built walls that are too thick to penetrate. And the problems only escalate between John and Janie. When an abandoned baby holy shit. When an abandoned baby is found in a dumpster, <laughs> when an abandoned baby is found in a dumpster and brought to the hospital where Janie works. A series of events is set in motion that forces the couple to reassess the terms of their love, responsibility, and commitment to one another. This sounds like every bad thing that can happen in a movie. In John it. Bon Jovi
1: in Dumpster Baby.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the working title.
1: I think, I yeah, yeah, that was on the uh, original draft.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so first their kid dies, but then also they find a baby in the trash. <laughs>
1: They find a new one in the garbage. It's fine.
0: <laughs> I'm so glad that I brought that up because this is pure insanity. But I think, and I'm not going to like this the up, fact
1: that we went we went from talking about my new album to uh, John Bon Jovi finding babies in the garbage.
0: <laughs> do you think that? Do you think that it could have gone better than that?
1: I think that I feel- um, really the entire. Like flood damage aesthetic that I've been pursuing all these years. Really, I'm trying to connect with people in the same way that John Bon Jovi
2: finding a baby in the garbage does. I think this is the most anyone's ever talked about Bon Jovi. At least, at least uh, in recent memory, for sure. Yeah.
1: I mean, I wonder if John Bon Jovi's ears are burning somewhere right now. Like somebody's talking about him again, and it's not 1988. Yeah, seriously. I wonder if he's searching through dumpsters right now. Somewhere <laughs> in New Jersey, giving blowjobs for money.
2: Probably. He hasn't had a hit in a while. It's true. Yeah. See, I, I've always like—I don't know—I'm not a big fan of, of of Jovi. I've always been a Springsteen guy. And okay. I, I, and maybe maybe it's the New Yorker in me, but like there there always seems to be <laughs> like this—you know—you're you're either a, a Springsteen guy or a Jovi guy. <laughs> Like, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. I feel I like
1: if they both true. hadn't had become so successful, they'd probably get together on weekends and just, like, fight in the backyard. Like, they'd have, like, a backyard wrestling jersey style thing. Yeah.
2: I don't think
0: that's true. I think you can like both. But maybe you can't love both.
2: Maybe. Yeah, that's... That, I think that sounds accurate. That uh, could be true.
0: Because, you know... Okay, here's a funny thing. When... There's, a, there's that Springsteen anthology that just came out uh, called Trouble in the Heartland, and Joe Clifford edited it. He was on the show. And I was talking about how, like, everyone I know has a story in it. And he was <laughs> giving me shit like, well, you didn't submit anything, so don't, you know, like, don't act like you're mm. offended that you're not in it. And I was like, no, really, though? Um, the song that I thought was Bruce Springsteen <laughs> that I was thinking of was Bruce Springsteen's uh. John Cougar Mellencamp. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. Yeah, you don't deserve
2: to be in it. Um, That that could have been a horrifying faux pas. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when when we were at BoucherCon, I was talking to Tom Pitts about it, and, like, I've seen Springsteen, like, six times. I love Springsteen. And he he was like, well, how come you don't... He was like, why don't you have a story in this? I'm like, because you didn't ask me, motherfucker.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it was a weird, like, it seemed like it was... It was like they decided they were going to do it, and then it was, like, planned and set in stone, like, on Facebook. Yeah. I'm pushing for them. To, see, Tom wants them to do a Ramones one, which I'm down for. That'd be interesting. Uh, yeah. I'm pushing for a Queen one. I think that could be awesome. Queen there are story-
2: cool. I, I threw out the New York Dolls. Uh, and that's only because, like, I actually see David Johansson sometimes because he lives near me, and I could probably just ask him if he would, you know, let us do that. That's pretty cool.
0: You should go ask him and then pitch it to to Joe. Come on.
2: Okay. So, So last week, last week, my wife dropped her iPhone, and we had to go get a new iPhone for her. And we're sitting in the iPhone store where apparently now you have to give your name and wait fucking 45 minutes to even see someone to, like, buy a fucking phone. And okay, David oh, well, Johansson walks in in sweatpants. And I'm like, punk is dead. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's not dead. It just appreciates uh, a touch screen. Yeah, it's like, wait, 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 uh, What's wrong with sweatpants, okay? I'm going to tell you, yeah. this is how I know that I'm old and I live in the suburbs now. I have no now, more
1: sweatpants. punk didn't die, just got comfortable. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I went out yeah. of my way to buy um, a sweat, a pair of sweats and a sweat jacket that I could wear to take my daughter to school in the morning so I wouldn't have to bother getting dressed
1: to take her to school. Right. Nice. Nice.
0: So that's where, that's where I have to go, like, okay, like, yep, I'm, I'm a white lady. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's nowhere to go from here. Okay,
1: <laughs> that's okay, though. You, you've, you've owned it. That's what's important here.
0: Exactly, exactly. Um, so to, to completely flip everything we're talking about, let's talk about declension. And okay. Let's go to talk about Bon Jovi and White Ladies in Sweatpants to talk about McGruff the Crime Dog. I found it very interesting that he played uh, such a, I wouldn't want to say a large role, but a prominent role.
1: He's, uh, he's definitely uh, an important piece of the puzzle, and, and it's hard to talk about that book without calling it a puzzle because it's such a strange, strange book. Um... I don't know if uh, you got a chance to read the uh the notes in the back of it, but it, it was originally uh a performance piece. Oh. Yeah. Um that novella was originally conceptualized as uh an experimental performance piece, um which is why a lot of it reads kind of like dialogue or stage direction too. Uh it's been fictionalized somewhat and, and I did I went through and did a kind of a pass uh to revise it a bit um when I was like reformatting it and, and sort of changing it around. So it's it's really been re-realized in a different way. But, yeah, uh, originally, I mean, you can imagine somebody basically dressed as McGruff the Crime Dog sneaking around stage, barking at people, holding up signs, etc. cetera. <laughs> I think, actually, the more you imagine visualizing that thing when you read it, the better it plays. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I'm I'm having some fun now. Well, see, and now... Because I didn't, I didn't get to the notes in the back, so like I'm having a full, like I'm re-experiencing the book right now, sitting here.
1: That's cool. I, you <laughs> know, like, I, I, I had to ask so many people because it's it's such a strange book, and I really wasn't sure how people would respond to it, especially because it's it's so very different from like, um, well, my first my first published novella was Party Wolves in My Skull, which was part of the the New Author Series from Razorhead. And that's such, like, a comic romp with, you know, it's like this surreal road trip kind of thing, and there's a lot of comedy in it. And then Declension was so very different from that, so I had to really try to position that book as something that, like, I guess if you like my writing, you'll probably dig it, but it's very, very different from the other stuff that people have seen, you know? But yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I I kept asking people for descriptions, and I think it's funny, because we're talking about music, and obviously the, the new Flood Damage album that I'm trying to promote and everything else, Declension kind of reads like an album, like a yeah. bunch of tracks that are sort of loosely arranged around a theme as opposed to a narrative story. And I think, I don't know, it's like people who want, who go in trying to experience it that way seem to have a better time with it.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that was actually, that was one of one of the things I was going to bring up is that when you go from section to section, because each section Mm -hmm. is titled, right? When you go from section to section, it does seem like the voice changes ever so slightly, or the presentation of the prose changes ever so slightly. Like you're saying, like, it is more like you're getting something completely different in every section, but it's all tied together, which I actually enjoyed that. I thought it was cool, because it made it, like, the parts that are, like, really, like, mind-meltingly crazy and weird, like... You get a break from that with something a little bit different, and then you go back to the super crazy, and then you go to like some dialogue, and then you. G- so it actually it kept. I guess it keeps like it keeps the hamster running on the wheel the whole time, but without like being exhausted, you know.
1: Yeah, well, I'm glad I'm glad you uh, you felt that way too. I, I mean, I, I I certainly tried to give it a rhythm enough where it would it would you know have enough variation where people could enjoy it in one sitting. You know, it's a short book, but I think, you know, hitting people over and over with, like, straight-up surrealist sort of automatic writing style stuff would be really hard to read, you know? Yeah. And And uh, I, I tried to make it so there were... There's some comedy here and there, and there's, you know, there, hopefully there are peaks and valleys and kind of a rhythm to it. I, I, I hope that's what people get anyway.
0: And uh, you, you mentioned automatic writing, and that's one of the things I want to ask, because when I read something like this, I, I always like sets off like a huge fascination and interest in what the process was behind writing it. So did you, I mean, did you outline this? Did you have like an idea of how you were going to arrange these pieces so that they fit together the way you wanted them to, but had like the slightly different feel and like you said, the peaks and valleys, or did you just sort of like start and take care of the rest in editing?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. This came together so differently, too, from from a lot of other writing that I've done. Um, not only the the Party Wolves novella, but like just short stories and things that I've had published here and there. I I'm usually very much into narrative and sort of dark humor. This was just like a completely different writing mode, <laughs> for better or for worse. And, and I ended up, and this is something you'll see too if you look at the back of the book again. That that section, it's sort of an appendix. I actually talk about, um, it's almost like a little manifesto about sort of the techniques that I used. And I stole a lot from the old, uh, like, the Surrealist techniques um, and uh, sort of, like, what the Surrealists were doing and the Dadaists and people like that and and tried some of the, uh, like, the Burroughs cut-up kind of stuff and basically just co-opting a whole bunch of experimental styles and patterns and things and tried to create... Pieces centered around the theme based on some of these techniques and things, um, and then I kind of found ways to sew them all together. so I guess it was nice. it was cre- creating a bunch of disparate pieces through all these different means, just as an experiment you know to see what what would happen, and then taking what sort of worked or what I could find threads to pull together with and and, and sewing them together it was a, It was an interesting experience trying to put that together, and I actually used some of that maybe in a more mature way, because it's several years later, in the the next book I have coming out, um, I'm really finding there's a lot of reward in, in sort of that, I don't know, playing with your own technique and, and kind of challenging yourself to find new ways to figure out how to create things, if that makes mm-hmm. sense.
0: Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I think... It's and really
1: good, if nothing else.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I think one thing that is fun to do, I guess. Like, you know, when you're first starting out and people tell you that they have a specific way of approaching their writing or they have, Mm -hmm. like, a specific... I don't know. Um, You know, like, the... The writing advice snippets, it sounds like that. Well, when when I sit down to write, I fill in the blank, blah, blah, blah. And you kind of think maybe that that's a little bit pretentious. But then when you've you've been writing for a while, you're like, actually, no, I do have a very specific philosophy on how I write and how to tell a story. So I think it's important, like you said, to play with that every once in a while before you start repeating yourself.
1: Absolutely, and, and you know, it's it's what we were talking about with the music, too. It's for the same reason that I like to play around with genres and things. If there's a track that you'll hear on, on the new album called Sexy that's like, I call it my industrial Barry White song because it's like, I, I sampled these old vocal patterns from, like, the soul stuff, and it's got this kind of groove rock thing going, and I, I don't know. It's like I like to challenge myself and make myself uncomfortable with the process because that's kind of how you find new things, you know? I, I think it's so easy, like I said earlier, to limit yourself by going, well, this is what I do, and then just sticking to that. But that, I don't know, that just seems boring to me, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's... See, again, I, I'm kind of like now trying to think about what I read and think about what we're talking about and try and see if I can spot these threads. But I think that's cool. Um, speaking of cool, I have to share this quote. We... When we started out, people always wanted us to have the authors, like, read an excerpt or have us read an excerpt, and that sounds Uh like a really great idea, but it's hard to do and make things feel natural, and it's hard to figure Uh out, like, how much time you should give someone. But I have to share this quote from the book because it made me laugh out loud, (laughs) not just because it's funny, but because it's so absolutely true. I watched my cat watching the birds out the window and watched and watched and saw the tree that she was staring at. And I thought to myself, humans are much smarter than cats because we know that trees are filled with chlorophyll and that they're called trees, for example. But then I thought, why would a cat need to know about chlorophyll? And then I decided that maybe we're not so smart after all, but looking for a crutch. (laughs) And I was like, you know, when you break it all the way down... <laughs> was, I don't know. I don't know why that particular piece. I was like, oh, I got to write this down, and I'm gonna make sure that we I, we talk about this on the show. But I really loved it.
1: I'm glad you liked that. I, I yeah, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. I um, I uh, I remember. You know, it's funny. I remember that a lot of those those weird little bits come from places of truth. And I remember the day I was sitting. It was, I was in grad school down in Southern Illinois. I was sitting around one day, and my cat was just sitting there in the window like, staring at the trees, and I don't know, that that became a part of that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I Again, I don't know. I don't know. We, uh, we think we're a lot smarter than we are sometimes.
0: Yeah, no, and it is like the question, of course, if the three of us here tonight were writers, and so obviously we have to appreciate that humans desire more than the bare minimum. Otherwise, we're admitting that like we have no purpose or reason to do what we're doing, right. <laughs> but at right. the same time, it's like, do we believe that it's important because we need it to be important? <laughs> right, right. So, uh, yeah,
1: sometimes I think we we ascribe a lot more meaning to what we do than we really deserve. I, I mean, I, I call me crazy, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of the existentialists, you know, and the whole, uh, you know, Sartre and Beckett and, and those guys, and it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know if humans are really all that great. We're kind of specs just kind of floating around on a dirt ball, you know, doing the best yeah. we can.
0: <laughs> so I, I do want to make sure, because I, I kind of, I guess, went backwards. I want to make sure we talk about Boiled Americans, because that's the one that's new, right?
1: Yeah, that'll be coming out uh, in 2015. Uh, that's coming up. It'll be published by Bizarro Pulp Press, which is now a subsidiary of Journalstone. So um, okay. Journalstone. Oh, okay. They, uh, yeah, they actually became part of Journalstone, which which uh, they have a number of imprints under them, horror and sci-fi, and all sorts of things. So I guess the distribution on this could be pretty cool. And I don't know if this is the kind of book that you're, you know, going to have a lot of buyers for at Walmart, but. Maybe my book will be in a Walmart.
0: <laughs> That's good. Well, you never know. Somebody, you never know. <laughs> when, I, when I lived in the desert, the <laughs> only store that sold new books was Walmart. Okay. So, you know, I might have bought it. Maybe. If I didn't buy all my books on Amazon. I might have. <laughs> But at the time, I
1: bought all my books on Amazon because Walmart was the only place that sold new books. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, Boiled Americans, actually, if you liked Declension and liked kind of what I was doing with that, um, the original uh, performance piece that Declension, the book, was based on is about eight years old now. Uh, the novella version is only a few years old, but World Americans was just completed um, probably last month. So, ideally, it's going to be more weird experimentation, but with whatever I've learned in the last decade or so, which may be good or bad, I don't know.
0: I don't know. I'm interested I in See, this is the thing, too. Is we've, we've had so many um, Bizarro authors on the show, but prior to doing this show, I had absolutely no experience with Bizarro whatsoever. Sure, sure. Never, it had never... Um, read anything, I don't think. And, and and it wasn't because, like, I was just unaware of it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I was for the most part. But prior, like, you know, around the year before we started doing the show, like, I knew people who wrote Bizarro, and I was aware that it was a thing that people did. Um, but then when we started doing this, the Bizarro community is so amazing, and we had so many people that wanted to come on the show and, like, really um, promote it amongst the other, like, amongst the community, and we, I've got to read so much different um, stuff that I don't think I ever would have even considered before.
1: Yeah.
0: Which is, I mean, I'm not trying to be snotty about it by any means. No, no, and I, I,
1: I, I... I think that's a common experience because, well, for one thing, the the Bizarro community really is a community in a way that I've I've never seen any other genre or group of writers be. Like, It's it's honestly the most supportive creative community I've ever been a part of. Um, I usually describe it to people as like, you know, I have a background in theater and I've been in bands forever, and it's like what I always thought theater was supposed to be or what I always thought being in a band was supposed to be that's what being part of the bizarre community is.
0: That's that's cool. Yeah, yeah very I, much cool. definitely
2: gotten that sense that like the, it, it's such a, a tight knit group. Um, I mean, my experience was similar to Renee's, where it was like, oh, you know, okay, that's a thing. Uh, and then I read, um, I read the Haunted Vagina by Carlton Mellick, and I was like, holy mm-hmm. shit, this book is actually really fucking cool. And mm-hmm. um. And then we, uh, so I, I run the, uh, the class program at Lit Reactor, where we have authors oh, right. come in and teach online workshops. And, uh, you know, I, I had been talking to Rose O'Keefe, who does head Press, and, you know, I was like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, maybe we can do a Bizarro class. And, you know, I, could, I, I always want to try new things and new genres, and sometimes they go well and sometimes they bomb, and you just kind of mm-hmm. don't know. It's still kind of like a learning experience. And uh, we brought in Rose to teach a class, and it sold out like, quickly, too, uh, sure. which was kind of shocking. So, uh, you know, I'm and I'm really excited that now we're sort of, like, kind of moving into this and offering more classes like this. And, uh, yeah, it's just it really, really, it, it's it's amazing that there was this, like, huge thriving community that I just had no idea about.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting, too, because I think Bizarro in particular is really benefiting from this sort of golden age of indie publishing that seems to be happening because there there are so many good independent publishers that are just exploding right now, and a lot of them have at least a peripheral tie to the bizarro community. Because I'd say most of us in that community also write other things. You know, you've got you've got people yeah. who write crime fiction, you've got people who write straight-up, like, lit fiction, you you know, whatever. And being a part of that bizarro thing, though, everyone is so friendly and supportive, and it really is about that rising tide raises all ships attitude that it, it's really benefiting everybody. So I think it's exploding really fast, too, because I think people are discovering it now, and it's not that old, but it's exploding exponentially. Like, every year at BizarroCon, we have more people. It's Every year, it's increased, and it's just insane. Like, it, it gets so bigger and were, bigger. You were at BizarroCon this year? Oh, uh, yes. Actually, this is my sixth one in a row. I started going to BizarroCon even before my first book was published.
2: Hi. Yeah, you know, I would love to check out BizarroCon one year. It's just this year, it was the same weekend as BoucherCon, which is, like, the big, yep. like, oh. crime and mystery convention. And that's, like, that's my jam. Like, I have to go to that. That's, like, the sure, one sure. thing that I need to go to every year. So, um, it, it, I was kind of I, I also, I love Portland, and I like a lot of the people who are involved in that. But um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. I, I would say if you get a
1: chance, you should definitely definitely come out, because it, not only is it a, a tight-knit community, it's a very welcoming community. Um, I think there are only a few people who who would disagree with that over the many years that I've been involved with the people in this community, and they usually self-select themselves out. Um, I think if you go there with with any kind of like openness and willingness and friendliness, you will be absolutely welcomed in, and you'll be called family by the end of the weekend. It, it's It's such a welcoming group. And and the creativity is off the charts. Like BizarroCon, it, it's kind of a four-day party. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It, there's a lot of partying. There's a lot of drinking. There's a lot of weird impromptu dance contests or attempts to levitate or, you know, golf challenges, whatever happens. But uh, the nice thing is you're doing it with all these people who are not only insanely creative writers and artists and content creators, but... Um, so many of us in this community are polymaths. You've got a number of us who are also musicians or also filmmakers, or also illustrators, and everyone wants to collaborate, and everyone wants to pimp each other's work. So you come out of there so creatively charged up, you know it, it, you you go back home with like eight projects on your burner that you're just you're super excited about because everyone wants you to do all of these amazing things. It, it's like nothing else. It really is. You know, we've got um, some of the bigger horror folks now have have discovered us, like uh, John Skip, who, you know, one, is one of the original Splatterpunk guys, has been coming for several years now and is sort of like a bizarro elder statesman now. And uh, Brian Keene has uh, actually has said bizarro con is one of the only cons he goes to anymore without a professional reason to do so. Because he just has too much fun there.
0: Yeah. See, and that's really, and that's, I would say, doing the show um, and interviewing so many people from the community and getting to know so many people from the community as well. That is the mm-hmm. one thing I've never had a bad, like, we've had, and I'm not going to name names, but anybody who's listened to the show, like, semi regularly could probably pick them out because editing can't fix sure. everything. We've had bad interviews. We've had interviews sure. where the author is a great author, and um the work is good, but just something doesn't click or sure yeah you know, there's been at least one show where like yeah uh, Jessica, who you emailed with, you know where she and I were like both kind of sick or something there's there have been bad shows,
1: mm-hmm. never had
0: a bad show with someone from the bizarre community. There's no such thing. I
1: there's totally believe a- that you know we have um. I mean, even the readings and things, if you ever attend a Bizarro reading, and we, we usually have some at the con, but, like, we do a, a thing called the Bizarro Hour here in Chicago, and up in Portland they have the hour that stretches, and there there are a few of these events around the United States, especially as the community continues to grow. Um, we even try to make sure our readings are, you know, well, entertaining as hell. I mean, it's it it, it really is one of those things where it's like, you have to develop the skill set of being a public persona as well as being a good writer. Uh, I don't know. I I mean, I understand that, you know, in the past it was easier to kind of hide behind anonymity. I'm like, well, I write good and someone will read it. That's great, you know. I think today with with how ubiquitous, like, book trailers and, and performance videos and things like that are, And with how many of us do, you know, so many variety of different mediums that we we play in, you kind of have to develop those skill sets and be like a communicative person who can talk to people and, you know, not be an asshole.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's kind of like the, the joke that I have about this show is that everybody who comes on this show is cool because an asshole wouldn't do this show. Right, right. one of the best sellers, especially like the I first it's, year. It's like, you know, yeah, they'll
1: select themselves right out of the running.
0: <laughs> right, but but there's a difference between you know being a cool person and being comfortable uh, doing interviews and having fun. No, that's true. Being public. That's very, that's very true.
1: I'm I'm very lucky that I have my theater background, because that's actually helped me um, kind of become whatever personality I have in the Bizarro community. I, I, I lean pretty heavily on my performance background, which is really helpful.
0: <laughs> I've, I've found, I mean, like, there are, like, you can identify communities um, if you spend any time, like, because we do a lot of different genres here, so... I uh-huh. am exposed uh-huh. to a lot of different communities, and you can kind of pick out the ones that are like thriving and fun and cool, and you can pick out the ones that are a little bit like harder or rougher.
1: Sure. Sure. Um well, you know, we had a discussion about that actually at the con, me and a couple people over a couple of beers, and and one of the nice things about the bizarre thing is like, and and actually, I don't know the 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 weird fiction movements that are sort of connected directly with us too. There just seems to be less competition. Because you know, even in like other genre things like sci-fi and horror and fantasy, and you're kind of sold the idea when you're a young writer that you're going to be able to make a living doing this, which means that you're immediately competing for someone's dollar against your peers. Whereas I think we're all sort of such outsiders and doing such weird shit over somewhere in left field that none of us have ever fooled ourselves into thinking we're going to make a living at this. So uh there's less of a sense of competition against each other and more of a sense of competition against everything else that's like mainstream and kinda lame? I don't know.
2: You know, honestly I really I I, I think that there's a lot of similarities in that way too with the crime fiction community. You know? Yeah. Um the, like when uh the, the thing that's always amazing to me about going to an event like BoucherCon is, uh, and, and I've been to sort of some, like, like literary-minded events, and, like, some people can be real fucking pricks. And you go to, right, like, right. a crime fiction event like NoirCon or BoucherCon, and everyone's really, really cool and really welcome. Like, like you were saying with the BizarroCon people, like, really welcoming and really accepting, and it's really, like, this sort of weird fucked-up family unit. And I think mm-hmm. it's because the crime writers, they get it out on the page. You know, they sure. they sort of write this dark, fucked up shit. And by the time they're done, they're like, okay, it's time for a little bit of sunshine. And uh, it's sure. it, it's always nice when, when you sort of, you know, you, you kind of find your tribe like that. You know, when when you can come together with a group of people and say, okay, you know, here's this thing we have in common. How fucking cool is that?
1: Yeah, it's the family you choose. Like that's the you know, that's the bottom line I think.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback off of what Rob said and and say that the two communities that I felt have been the most welcoming and the like friendliest are Bizarro and Crime. And that having the crime community kind of like take me under the wing has like changed everything about <laughs> about like my you know, my writing and where I you know, how much people give a shit who I am or whatever. Right, right. Um, and I mean, this is crazy, Rob. I wanted to tell you this. I went to a local writing group, and I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to say much about it because I might go back. <laughs> um, but one of the people, they have, like, a thing where they have to, you know, you, they have the meetings at their homes. So the first time you go, you have to go to one of their, like, public meetings in a Starbucks to make sure you're not, like, super weird before they let you in the house. So, one okay. of the other people was there, and she brought up VoucherCon, and everybody at the table but me was like, the what? <laughs> <laughs> but it was super weird, because I guess, like, she was there the whole time. Me and this lady that live like, ten minutes from each other were, like, there in the bar. All, oh, wow. All, so, anyway.
2: Interesting. Oh, God. VoucherCon was a lot of fucking fun this year. I drank way too much. That that seems to be a
1: pretty common con thing. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: I drink way
1: too much.
0: We have see because I went um one day and then the next day my husband's military and it was his ball and then we went the day after that and so I just basically was drunk for three days and it and I am too fucking old for that and I like I get drunk like once a year normally. Because it's the aftermath of getting drunk is like it's so severe for me these days. I've
1: I've noticed the older I get, the harder it is. The recovery is the harder part.
0: Yeah. No, it's fine. Like it used yeah. to take
1: like a couple yeah. hours, now it's like two days later I still feel like somebody hit me with a buzz.
0: Exactly. Well. So after that weekend, it took me like a week and a half.
2: Oh gosh <laughs> so, so bad. <laughs> Yeah, when I uh, when when I was in college, I I was like built out of something different. I mean, I me me and my roommate were like fucking gods, like literally, like we were like we we were all powerful, all seeing beings. So we would go out and drink like we would we would down a bottle of vodka between the two of us in like a half hour, and then go out looking for booze. Like oh, we would drink inhuman amounts of alcohol. And the next day we'd both (laughs) wake up and be completely fine. And now we're living in this reality where like, like at VoucherCon where I stay, I I have like two whiskeys too many and stay up like until like one o'clock in the morning. And the next day I want to fucking die. I'm like,
1: man. I realize that your metabolism has changed and oh God, it gets horrible. (laughs) Yeah. We
0: lived in the, when I lived in the barracks, we would do, like, well, we used to just go out all weekend, but then too many people got in trouble. So we had to be, like, in our rooms by midnight. So it would happen, like, on Friday, immediately after work, everyone would go out and get shit-faced so that they would have time to sober <laughs> up before midnight. Because we were all, I'm sorry, none of us were underage, of course not, because no, that no, was No, no, not at all. But, <laughs> but the point was, we didn't want to be drunk. When the, you know, the guy in charge checking everybody's IDs came around. So we would go out and we'd just get shit-faced, sober up, like, by about 11, get back to the barracks, check in, and then, like, at 12.01, everyone would be out in the smoking area, like, passing around booze in their, like, you know, camouflage container of (laughs) choice. And this was, like, all weekend, and I like, I was, I was, I was, seriously, I was underage, and I was in charge of my platoon, so I could be that drunk and protect all the dumb shits that were getting too drunk and were going to get caught, and, like, right. cover people, and, like, have my shit handled, and, like, Monday morning, <laughs> and I'm up at 5.30 to go run, and, like, it just like it just didn't fucking faze me. I would wake up on Sunday mornings feeling so refreshed at like seven a.m. Like, oh, <laughs> let's go greet the day. And and yeah, one weekend of going out three nights in a row, and I needed a week and a half before I could function properly again. I uh, I uh,
1: I remember. I think it was. Uh, I think it was two years ago at I It would have been um, 2012. I remember. It's like, yeah, you know, we're getting older, blah, 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 and I kind of know that, but, you know, you you break it out. When you're at the con, you're like, okay, I, I can handle this. I used to be able to do this. I can do it again. So I drank and I stayed up and I drank and I stayed up and I drank and I stayed up. And we did workshops and we did, you know, readings and we did da, 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 and I stayed up all night. Most of the time I try to get a little bit of sleep, but that year I was like, no, I can do this. Oh, my God, Sunday night, everyone thought I was going to die. Because I was literally, they have this place called the Ad House. It's like the central kind of meeting location. It's like this old administrative house for the, the, the resort that they, uh, they do this thing on. And that's where everyone kind of hangs out. I'm just laying there on the couch, like not blinking, like just kind of staring <laughs> off into the middle distance. And people keep coming up to me and kind of poking at me and offering me things. And I'm just, I'm just lying there because I can't move. I'm like, this is what happens. This is what. This is what. I have found a way to enter into a living death state, and uh, yeah, apparently involves a lot of booze and staying up too late when you're in your thirties.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was undead. I it. was
1: undead for for an entire night.
0: You don't believe it though when people tell you like that it changes that fast. Like you hit thirty mm-hmm. and it legitimately changes, because yeah. I don't drink often enough or like in large enough quantities for me to really n- know that it was coming after 25. Right, right. But right. I to know that it wasn't like, it wasn't terrible to get drunk. And then, like, all of a sudden, I know exactly when, as a matter of fact, a uh, friend of the show, guy <laughs> has been on the show before, McKay Williams, his 30th birthday, he's, like, uh, six months younger than me, I think, I went up to Oakland to go to his, like, karaoke party, and I had plans oh, well. to go to brunch, another uh, friend of the show, Jason Riddler. I had time to go to brunch mm-hmm. with him the next day. And I couldn't get, I got out of bed and I sat on the floor <laughs> and I just couldn't get right. up. Right. I was I can't put my pants on. I don't know what I'm going to do. I have to go home. I don't know how you, I'm going to do it or why I'm doing it. You got
1: on the floor <laughs> and you weren't getting any further than that.
0: <laughs> right. Like, and then, you know, I eventually make it to brunch and he's like, oh, they have the best <laughs> this and that and the other. And I'm like, I can't even stomach my coffee. How You're am right. I gonna live? How am I gonna survive? Why did I do this to myself? <laughs>
1: they they offer you a drink, like hey, here with a dog and you just kinda of throw up on their shoes and call yeah. it a day. Yeah.
0: Everything is horrible. My legs are shaking. I don't know why. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Well, you know, just recently I uh, I told myself that I was going to cut down a little bit because I'm I'm the kind of person who, like, I come home from work and I pour myself a little bit of whiskey because it's, it's nice to unwind a little bit after a long day. And uh, I keep on I, – and I was like, you know, I really should stop drinking for a little while and just see what happens. And uh, but it's so fucking hard. I mean, because when you work in publishing, it's like every fucking meeting you go to is, like, at a bar. Or like meeting right. someone over drinks for something, and it's like, okay, well, I guess I'm not sticking with this. Like, uh, I'm going to slow
1: down on my drinking. Let me work in this this industry where there are tons and tons of alcoholics.
2: It's, it's kind great. of shocking, like how much of this this fucking industry is based around getting bombed. Like right. tomorrow night, my plans are uh, I'm meeting with uh, Todd Robinson, who's you know the editor of Douglas, and he wrote the hard pounds and. I'm going to go to his fucking bar and drink a bunch of whiskey while we bullshit about work stuff.
0: I tell nice. you what, cause that's it. I, I, I genuinely don't drink very much, but then all mm-hmm. of a sudden I'm like, it's becoming less and less true. The more I put myself out there in the writing community because right. Rob's not lying. He's not making excuses for himself. It's true. Right. It's hard. <laughs> Well, I think,
1: uh, I think it's it, – maybe we just learn to choose. We learn to pick our battles a little bit. You know, it's like, okay, I can drink this weekend because for the next five days, I'm going to drink water and weak tea and go to bed early, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, I can drink because I'm drinking red wine and it's good for me.
1: Sure, yeah. <laughs> sure. I,
0: didn't, I didn't have whiskey. <laughs> I didn't have a beer that was full of, like, carbs and – Stuff I'm having if there's any accidents in this
1: i was uh i was telling I was telling Renee earlier uh before we uh all got connected if it wasn't a work night, I would have a nice pretentious chalice of absinthe with me right now, you know like a writer but uh,
0: yeah,
2: uh you know, early morning I <laughs> <laughs> made absinthe in college once it was a bad that's, idea oh no, that's, making it is a terrible idea. idea. Yeah, I,
1: I've had friends who made that mistake. No, no, you 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 save up, you buy the nice stuff, you do the adult thing with it, because making it, oh god, no, oh god, I, no.
0: I may or may <laughs> you know, not have.
1: Like somebody set a boat, like a somebody set the homeless person on fire, wrung them out in your bathtub, and then like distilled <laughs> that. That's what. No, making that's your
2: fine. own is a yeah. bad, bad idea. That that that's about what it tasted like. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I like the idea of absinthe better than I like to drink. I also I don't like mint, and I don't like licorice. So like, those flavor profiles are not. I'm not a big fan of so. Right. I I always feel like absinthe would be a great idea if I like the way it tasted.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah you get, you really have to like the herbal flavors, or it's kind of it's going to be lost. I mean, do you drink gin? Uh, okay.
2: I actually I went through like. I went through a phase of, like, probably, like, nine months where all I drank was gin and tonics. It was a weird fucking phase. But, wow, um, that is I'm not opposed to gin. I'm, I've am i also, I've not had a gin and tonic in years.
1: I feel like gin drinkers can get into absinthe. Because they yeah. both got that weird herbal thing. But I don't, see, I don't like gin, though. And I like absinthe. So, I don't know. It really depends on, I think it depends on what herbs you like.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: My my husband likes looking up like, you know, those cocktails that like went through a burst of popularity and then died out. You know? So like Uh for the last thirty years nobody has really made this cocktail. Let's try it out. And he made gin
1: rickies. (laughs) He made a what?
0: Gin rickies. They're really good. I hate gin. So much. Gin and tonic taste like what I imagine Satan's asshole would taste like. I hate (laughs) Gin and
2: tonic.
0: Gin and tonic tastes like a fucking Christmas tree. See, I
2: would say a forest fire, so I don't know. Who who doesn't want to drink a Christmas tree?
0: It's a forest fire. And I served (laughs) you a salad made of fucking Douglas fir, would you be like, oh, Renee is so gourmet? Or would you be like, what the fuck, why are you feeding me a Christmas tree?
1: Well, that is like the ornaments get all melted down, and then you're drinking melted glass with dyes in it. and Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's bad. No, because I, feel, the like the I
1: tree. feel
0: like the gin Ricky has like a little bit of simple syrup and it has seltzer instead of tonic. Okay. And what I realized is that it's the fact that the tonic and the gin bring out the worst in each other. And that's why gin and tonic sucks to me. But gin, seltzer water is fine. So, actually, what it is, I love the taste of gin. I just don't want it fucked up with tonic.
2: (laughs) The
1: only only time I really ever drank gin and tonic, the only time I ever really drank gin and tonic, I got really, really drunk on gin and tonics. So, I don't really remember
2: how I felt about them. Yeah. Yeah, I used to to pour gin and tonics into, like, a coffee mug and then go to class. And now I'm having, like, (laughs) flashbacks of this. Of just like I, I now I kind of want a fucking gin and tonic that I don't have either in this house.
0: <laughs> Next week. Yeah. Next week you do a gin and tonic and I'll do a gin ricky.
2: Okay. There you go.
0: Um, So we actually just went over time talking about gin, nice. which is oh, so fucking appropriate for this show that it's actually kind of amazing. Um. Michael, can you do me a huge favor and pronounce the name of that song again?
1: Yes. Ovoid Vovoid.
0: So that's what we're going to be listening to on the way out. (laughs) I forgot to mention at the start of the show, but our sponsor is, once again, Miss Massacre's Guide to Murder and Vengeance by Michael Paul Gonzalez. The book is as cool, if not cooler, than the banner that you will find at the bottom of the episode notes. You can click on and buy the book. Um... They've been sponsoring us for a while, so you would think that I would get tired of telling everybody how amazing this book is, but I'm not tired of it. It is a fucking great book. Um, I could I could talk about it for the length of an entire episode. I have talked about it for the length of an entire episode when Michael was on. So, yeah, anybody who likes crime fiction, anybody who likes, I, I'm going to say like there's an element of Grindhouse, there's an element of like kind of kill bill there's a great fucking mystery at the heart of it it's got so much heart and emotion um it's entertaining it's it's emotional it's just everything that you could want in a book and it is totally available all you got to do is put the little banner at the bottom of the page so go out and after you buy michael's books buy the other michael's <laughs> books <laughs>
1: There are a lot of Michael's writing today, and we all write yeah. really great stuff.
0: That's what it is. It, you can count on the the Michael guarantee. At least. That's right. It's the
1: Michael of quality. <laughs> we have meetings. We have meetings about this. So yeah, no, absolutely.
0: Um. Anyway, <laughs> that's the show. Thanks so much for being on.